Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 27. We will eventually get there. Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27. We are in our third and last sermon series talking about where we as elders believe uh, the church is leading us in the area of making disciples. Um, Early in my ministry when I was a youth pastor, uh, this was back in the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was a young youth pastor, I had a Messiah complex. And what that means is I thought I had to do everything in the youth ministry or it would not operate correctly. Nobody else could do it as good as me. I had to do everything. I did not trust my leaders. I felt like I could do it better than them. And I had this deep sense of pride that I was the only one that could do everything in the youth ministry. So, for example, I planned a weekend retreat up at a um, retreat center called Golden Bell. It's up in Divide, Colorado. And so we were from Colorado Springs. And so to get from Colorado Springs up to Divide, it's about an hour and a half drive. So I drove up there myself the day before, leaving my family when my kids were young. And I did all the decorations and set up everything and and went up there and and took a whole day to get stuff ready for the youth to come up for that weekend. And and it was crazy because I had a volunteer that said, well, Sean, I could have done that for you. I would have been happy to go up there and do that. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want to bother you. And, and as a matter of fact, in my heart of hearts, I felt like I would have done a better job than she would of getting all this stuff ready. Then one day, my senior pastor pulled me aside, and he gave me the best advice I ever had. He pulled me aside and said, Sean, you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to do everything in the youth ministry. You need to chill out. And you need to go and spend some time in prayer. And you need to figure out two things. You need to figure out, number one, what only you can do as youth pastor. And number two, all the other things that your volunteers can do. And that was both freeing and humbling because at that moment I had to admit that I had a weakness. I had a Messiah complex. I thought I could do everything myself. And so from that point forward, I began to empower leaders and invest in leaders. And our youth group grew both numerically and spiritually in growth. And so what was the problem was I was the bottleneck to growth because fundamentally I felt like I was the only one that could do it do it right. I did not trust other leaders, and so I took the load of doing ministry all upon myself. Over the past few weeks, we introduced to you as elders what we believe is our strategy for making disciples, and it starts with three three words that start with T. Tell, teach, train. Tell, teach, train. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first part of our strategy, which is tell. Tell. We desire God to create a culture here at Emmanuel Baptist Church where all of us are telling the gospel 
to others. We want to see people getting saved. We want to see God doing gospel impact in our community. We want the gospel to go out in power and see people coming to faith in Christ. And if so, if God were so to bless with more and more people coming to faith in Christ, more and more people receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we need a strategy to help those people grow in their faith, in addition to you who are already Christians to grow in your faith as well. And so last week, we looked at the second part of our strategy, and that is teach. Teach. So not only do we need to tell the gospel so that non-believers can get saved, but you who are already saved, we need to have a teaching strategy where you can grow in your faith, you can mature, you can be equipped. And we talked last week about the primary way you do that is by getting connected into one of our growth groups that meet throughout the week. And so if God were so to bless our church with more people getting involved in a teaching ministry, and more people getting saved, and more people getting reached with the gospel, then there's going to be a need, a need for leadership training. There's going to be a need. So in order to effectively meet all the needs, if God were so to bless of a tell strategy, more people coming to faith in Christ, of a teach strategy, of more people getting taught and growing in their faith, and more ministries getting started, then we're going to have to train up leaders to meet that need. And so on the first Sunday a few weeks ago, I talked about this continuum. We talked about wherever you are on this, this faith journey. So some of you may not even be a Christian yet. You may not even have a relationship with Christ, and so you need to trust Christ for salvation and become a Christian. And once you become a Christian, then you need to begin to grow in your faith. And some of you have been Christians for a while, and so you're established in your faith, but you need to continue to grow in your faith and to mature. And there may be some of you here today that are are already maturing and you're already growing, but God may be calling you to the next step of actually becoming what we call a leader, an equipped leader. Now, you never arrive at the final destination. That will happen when you get to heaven. But our strategy is no matter where you are on this journey, we want you to be moving to the right. We want you to be growing and progressing in that. So this is where our train strategy comes in to play. Train. This is the third aspect. Now, this is an open loop. Okay, this is an open loop. In other words, when we tell people about Jesus and they get saved, then we need to teach them to grow in the faith. And then we're going to need people to be trained in order to meet the ministry needs in our church. And then it starts all over again as an ongoing cycle in the life of our church. And so we need to always be telling, always be teaching, and always be training. And so here's the issue. A church rises and falls upon its leadership. We are going to need equipped leaders right now. Regardless of whether God blesses us with more growth or whatever, we need leaders. We need more elders. We're going to need more deacons. We're going to need more growth group leaders. We're going to need more ministry leaders, children's leaders, 
youth leaders, women's ministry, men's ministry, and any other ministry you can think of in the life of our church in order to fulfill this strategy of making disciples. And so for this morning, we bring it to a close with our train strategy. So tell is the evangelism strategy, telling people about Jesus so they can get saved. Teach, we looked at that last week. That's establishing believers in the faith through a growth group ministry where you can be matured and growing in your faith. And then today we're going to talk about, excuse me, training leaders. And so what we're going to do this morning to start out with is we're going to look at four biblical models of leadership training. So if we're called to equip and train leaders, we need to go to the Bible and see where it happens. So we're going to look at two Old Testament examples and two New Testament examples of how people in the Bible trained, equipped, developed leaders. And so the first one we're going to look at is Moses and Joshua. Moses and Joshua. So if you have your Bibles open to Numbers chapter 27, we're going to pick up in verse 18. And you know the story. We've been in Exodus for, what, almost a year now. We're going to get back to it next week. But we haven't really gotten to the part where where Joshua has more of a role to play. But Joshua is Moses' assistant. Okay, So let's read Numbers chapter 27, 18 through 23. Are all the house lights up as far as they can go? I just, ah, there we go. Let there be light, and there was. And I can see. All right. Verse 18. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority, that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord, At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation, and he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. Moses instructs, I mean, the Lord instructs Moses to to lay hands on Joshua in a public commissioning service. This is a public way for the entire nation to know that the leadership is transferring from Moses to Joshua. The people needed to see that. The people needed to know that. The whole congregation had to be there. It couldn't be done in secret behind the scenes. Everybody had to know that the the leadership mantle was going from Moses to Joshua because Moses had been their leader for 40 years. And all of a sudden, Joshua was going to have to lead them into the promised land. And so I'm sure Joshua had some feelings of anxiety and some feelings of fear. And so Moses encourages him again in front of the whole assembly right before his death in Deuteronomy 31, 7 through 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now notice again, it's in front of the entire congregation. And so not only has Moses invested Joshua with authority, with leadership, but Moses is telling the entire congregation, listen, Joshua is your man now, and God's going to be with him. 
So Joshua, be strong and courageous as you lead the people into the promised land. You're the leader now. I'm transferring the leadership to you. I've, I've spent time equipping you, and now I'm releasing you to be the leader. And so what happens at the beginning of Joshua? Well, Moses has died, and at the beginning of the book of Joshua, verses 1 through 3, we see what happens. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you, just as I had promised to Moses. So Moses had done a faithful job of equipping Joshua to lead. And if you read the entire book of Joshua, Joshua emerges as a good leader. He leads the people into the promised land, except for there's one weakness, one major weakness with Joshua. Joshua never raises up a leader to take his place. And you know what happens after the book of Joshua? The book of Judges, which is the darkest days of Israel's history, where these judges just spiraled into immorality. And so because of Joshua's failure to raise up leadership like Moses raised him up as leader, it had devastating consequences for the next generation. So let's just jump into Joshua chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. It'll be on your screen. Listen to what it says here about Joshua and his generation. Joshua 2, 7 through 11. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Hares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And listen, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Moses transfers leadership to Joshua. Joshua leads the people but fails to transfer leadership to somebody else. And that next generation did not know the Lord and they spiraled into sin. So what's the principle for us today as Emmanuel Baptist Church? It is vitally important that we raise up leaders, especially younger leaders, who will take us into the future when many of you sitting here today will not be here. This church has built a legacy of faithfulness, and we want to continue that, but we've got to raise up younger leaders. We can't drop the ball in leadership training and developing future leaders. So Moses and Joshua is the first biblical example. Let's look at another one, Elijah and Elisha. Okay, can you say the J and the S-H? Elijah and Elisha. Don't get them confused. One comes before the other, Okay. Who was Elijah? Okay. Elijah was the main prophet in Israel. After the kingdom split into two and there was civil war, he had to do a lot of things in addressing some of the wicked kings. So if you remember, Elijah was the one who had the, the showdown on Mount Carmel where the 
God rained down fire and there was the prophets of Baal that were dancing around and cutting themselves. And he had to go confront Jezebel, the wicked queen, and he had to run for his life. And there's a lot of things that Elijah did in his ministry. But the Lord told him in 1 Kings 19.16 that he was going to appoint a leader to follow him, Elisha. In 1 Kings 19.16, And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Ebel-Mohalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. God says to Elijah, you need to find a replacement. You need to train up a leader that's going to be your successor after you're gone. The same way Moses trained up Joshua. So, let's turn in our Bibles. We're, we're all over the Old Testament today. Let's go to 2 Kings. When's the last time you heard a sermon on 2 Kings? 2 Kings, not 1 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me, verses 6 through 14. So God had already told Elijah that he was to anoint Elisha to take his place. And so in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah and Elisha are walking along together. And every time they go to a city, these prophets come up to Elisha and they say, you know your, you know your leader Elijah is going to die today. And Elisha's like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Don't, don't tell me about the future. And they go to another city and the prophets come up and say, you know Elijah is going to be taken from you. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. So Elisha knows that something's happening here where his leader, his, his mentor is going to be taken from him and he doesn't want to hear it. And so finally they get to the Jordan. Now, remember the Jordan River. What did Joshua do? Joshua miraculously led the Israelites through the Jordan River. Okay, let's pick up in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, that's Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. It's very similar to what happened. It's, 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 it's reminding us of Moses and Joshua. Something's about to happen with the transfer of leadership at the Jordan River. Verse 9, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you, before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took a hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. In verse 9, Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's mantle. 
Now, there's been a lot of speculation as far as what is Elisha actually asking, and some people have mistaken it by saying Elisha is asking for double of the Holy Spirit, or, or Elisha is asking for more power than what Elijah ever had. That's not really what's going on there. Um, a double portion was basically what the firstborn son would get as an inheritance. Um, it goes back to Deuteronomy 21.17. He shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the first fruits of his strengths, the right of his firstborn is his. What Elisha is doing by asking for a double portion is he's basically saying to Elijah, his mentor, I, I want to be able to have your, your leadership. I want to be able to take your place. I, I want to be your um, successor. And I'm going to need to have the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And notice what Elijah tells him in verse 10. What's he say? You've asked for a hard thing. In other words, Elisha, I can't give you this. Only God can. Only God can give you that power. Only God can give you that, that, that double portion. But it's interesting what Elisha does not ask for. What does Elisha not ask for? He doesn't ask for power. He doesn't ask for prominence. He doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for prestige. He doesn't ask for prominence. He basically just says, I desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit to do the ministry that God has called me to do. See, here's one of the principles of leadership development that we see here. Not only are we to raise up leaders, but we need to raise up leaders who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do their ministry. You see, we can create a leadership pipeline in a manual and we can try to crank out leaders, but if the Holy Spirit's not in it and the Holy Spirit's not equipping and the Holy Spirit's not empowering and these aren't called and qualified people who are spirit-empowered, it's not going to work the way God wants it to work. We need to have the Holy Spirit definitely present in this. And we need humble servants. Servants who are not asking for power or prestige or prominence, but, but servants that say, listen, God has called me to this, and I desperately need his power to lead in the way that he's called me to lead, humbly as a servant. So you see Moses transferring leadership to Joshua. You see Elijah transferring leadership to Elisha. Those are Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's look at the lack of leadership in Acts chapter 6. So I know I'm asking you to turn all over the place this morning, a little bit of a Bible drill, but go to Acts chapter 6, and we are going to see a leadership issue, and we are going to see a problem in the early church that needed to be addressed. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. What was going on, and, what, and how did it need to be addressed? Okay, hopefully you guys are all there. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, okay, let's just stop right there. That's a tell strategy. The disciples are increasing in number. More and more people are getting saved. There's a tell strategy going on in the early church where they are making disciples or telling people about Jesus. More people are getting saved. More people are becoming part of the church. When you add more people to the life of the church, there's more problems because you have more people. 
Here's what's going on. A complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews. A complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food. And the twelve summoned, that's the twelve original apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples, the entire church gathered. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they had said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what was going on? In the early church, the Greek-speaking widows were getting overlooked in the daily distribution of food. There was a benevolence need. These, These widows weren't getting... The needs met. So as the church was growing and expanding, there were people whose needs weren't getting met. And so the apostle said, listen, there's only 12 of us. And we're not above doing the daily distribution of food, but God has called us to be the, the, the spiritual leaders of the church. We need to focus on preaching and teaching and leadership. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to select seven men i.e. deacons or servants, and these seven are going to be able to meet the needs more more faithfully of the congregation. And so the apostles and these seven work together to meet the needs of the entire church. Now, this was the early church, and these were the original apostles, and so there's not a one-to-one transfer here, but we do see a principle. Pastors and elders like myself and the elders we function a lot like the early apostles. We devote ourselves to preaching and teaching and leadership and the overall spiritual vision of the church. And we're not above waiting on tables and and meeting the physical needs. We do that. But we also need a group of deacons to come alongside us and help serve. And so that's why we have a deacon body that works along with our elder body to make sure the needs of the congregation get met. And so One person or one small group can't possibly meet all of the needs of the church. And so we see a biblical model here of shared leadership. The disciples said, we can can drive ourselves crazy trying to meet this need, but we're just going to burn out, and we're going to be taken away from what God's really called us to do. So let's appoint leaders, servants, who can do this. And I want you to notice something. Look at verse 7. What happened? What happened when there was shared leadership? The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. It helped their tell strategy. More and more people were able to hear the gospel. The church grew because of that shared leadership. Let's look at one more place in Acts. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to put it on the screen so you can see it the way that I want you to see it. Acts chapter 14, tell, teach, train. Acts chapter 14. So Acts 14, 21 through 23, I want you to see, I've I've put the words, I've put Sean's uninspired words in parentheses in the scripture, okay? So I want you to notice that on the screen, okay? So let's get that up on the screen. Acts 14, 21 through 23. When they had preached the gospel, tell. Doesn't sound like tell when you preach the gospel, tell. And made many disciples... They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them in the faith. Teach. 
What do you do when we teach? We strengthen the souls of the disciples. We encourage you in the faith. We teach you. So they were telling the gospel. They were preaching the gospel. And then as people got saved, they were teaching them. They were encouraging them. And then notice what else happens. Saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders, there's the train strategy. They appointed leaders. They equipped leaders to lead for them in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed to them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So in that passage of Scripture of Paul in the early church, they had a tell, teach, train strategy right in that one passage of Scripture. They told the gospel to lost people. And when those people got saved, they had a strategy to encourage them and teach them. And not only just to encourage them and teach them, but they had a train strategy where they raised up elders to be the leaders of the church. Okay, so we've seen four biblical models. Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, the apostles with shared ministry to the deacons, and then Paul's ministry of raising up elders and leaders in the churches where he planted uh, those churches. And so at Emmanuel, we want to follow this biblical pattern as well with a train strategy as well. So we're going to need more leaders. Elders, deacons, growth group leaders, men's, women's, children, youth, all areas. And notice I didn't say we're going to need more workers. We need more leaders. There's a difference between workers and leaders. We will need more leaders. So there's a need for leadership. There's a biblical model for leadership training. Let's just briefly look at the principle of leadership training. The principle. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. This is he, he, Jesus, he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip, key word there, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay. One of my main job descriptions as your pastor is to equip you for works of ministry. Notice what the text does not say. The text does not say the pastor does all the work of ministry. My job is to equip you for works of ministry. And that word equip means to make something sufficient. Um, in New Testament times, it was talked about furnishing a room, preparing a garment, mending fishing nets, uh, restoring a broken arm, Basically, getting things the way that they're supposed to be so that it functions healthily. And what's the end result there? When a church is equipped with leaders who are leading, the church is healthy. It's functioning. There's unity. There's growth. That's the end result. And so when we're equipping, we're, we're basically saying our strategy is ultimately under God's guidance to, to help equip and move everybody to the right. Whether you're way over here and not a Christian yet, to you're on the precipice over here of being a new leader, we want to help equip you and encourage you. So there's a need for leadership training. There's a biblical model for leadership training. And there's a principle that as pastors, we are to equip 
leaders, not do it all ourselves, but to equip and raise up leaders for the future. So what's the strategy? What's the process? So, so, what, so what do we do now? Let's just talk about a strategy for leadership training. Over the next couple of years, we want to implement two key strategies to help in this. This is not going to be for everybody. Now, we want every single person connected to Emmanuel to be part of a teach strategy. But the train strategy may not be for everybody. Okay, so here's the first, here's the first strategy. We're going to continue the Leadership Training Institute. Now, last year, I took eight men through a nine-month commitment of the Leadership Training Institute where they committed to meet every other week. And we did everything from theological studies to leadership development to personal growth to prayer and accountability. The majority of these men were our deacons, so we are training up our deacons to, to be in leadership. And so we want to have the Leadership Training Institute happen again, and we want to create new tracks for both men and women. I know last time there were some women that said they wanted to be a part of it. So this is a like a nine-month high-intensity, you purchase the textbooks, you meet, we train. This is not for everybody. This is like, okay, I'm, I'm going to step up to the plate and be part of a leadership training institute. Be looking for that in the near future. But secondly, we also want to offer ongoing equipping seminars and training events for current leaders. So on, sun, on Saturday, November 16th, we're going to have our first leadership training equipping seminar. It's going to be in the morning. It's going to be three hours, but it's for all leaders in our church right now, in whatever capacity you're at. Growth group leaders, deacons, elders, children's, youth, men's, women's. It's going to be very practical, hands-on. How do you do ministry? How do we equip you for that? And if you are a upcoming leader or you're an aspiring leader, you're like, you know what? God may be calling me to leadership. We're going to invite you to this training event too, even though you may not have an official position of leadership. We want to get as many people equipped for leadership as we possibly can, and so we will probably have these ongoing leadership equipping seminars throughout the year. And so here's the bottom line. We need called, qualified, spirit-empowered leaders to help fulfill the mission of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and that is to make disciples. Now, I know this has been a lot of information over the past three weeks. First time you heard it, tell, teach, train. We as elders have been dealing with this for over a year. And so we're not expecting you to get it all at once. We're not expecting you to fully understand it or fully grasp it. We're just trying to introduce it to say, this is a strategy we believe God's taking us on. Tell, teach, train. We want to introduce it to you so that you can begin to at least start speaking the same language so we can all start speaking, tell, teach, train. Uh, we want more people telling the gospel. We want there to be massive teaching in our life of our church where everybody's being taught. And then we want training where people are being equipped. And so I'm going to ask it one more time. What's the mission of Emmanuel Baptist Church? I've asked it every single week the past three weeks. And the mission is to make disciples. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, this is a, this is a non-negotiable mission. We, we don't have a choice whether we're going to obey this or not. If we want to be a faithful church to Jesus, we've got to make disciples. That's non-negotiable. The question is, okay, what's the best way to do that in our context as Emmanuel Baptist Church? To be faithful to the Bible. 
Well, we as elders, through prayer and through many, many months of, of thinking this through, we believe that right now in the life of our church, the best strategy for us is, is tell, teach, train. We want a culture where people are telling the gospel. People are getting saved. People are getting reached for Christ. We want a culture where there's maximum participation in one of our growth groups where you can be taught, where you can be maturing, where you can be growing. And then we want there to be a group of qualified leaders that feel equipped to serve in the life of our church. Now, we as elders, we can facilitate the strategy. We can communicate the strategy. We can preach on the strategy. We can champion the strategy. We can do all that we can to try to get the strategy out there to you. But only God in his sovereignty can make it a reality. We're reliant upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do only what God can do. So let me just ask you a question. Can me or you in our own power make anybody become a Christian? Only God can bring people to faith in Christ through a tell strategy. Only God can grow you and mature you in the faith and make you rooted and deeply, deeply grounded through being taught the truths of Scripture. And only God can really raise up leaders that are called. So, so what we're asking is for God to do something. For God to, to bring about a cultural change, a, a change in our thought process, a change in our ethos, the, the way we operate, the way we, we act as a church, that, that everything about our church is, is this laser-sharp focused on these three areas. Are we making disciples in these three areas? Are we telling people the gospel so they can get saved? Are we seeing people come to faith in Christ? Do we have a solid teaching ministry where everybody's participating and growing and learning and being fed and being part of a group? And then are we raising up leaders that are equipped to serve and meet the needs if God were to so bless? Think about the impact. If God were to so bless a tell strategy with more and more people coming to faith in Christ and God were to bless a teach strategy with more and more people getting involved, guess what? We're going to need more leaders to meet the need. And so what we're asking you to do is to just pray about this vision Pray about the importance of this. Again, we're not expecting you to get it all at once. We're just introducing it to you. But here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray the way Paul did in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. What did Paul pray? Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or even think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want God to do something unexplainable, supernatural, and wonderful here in Emmanuel for his glory. If we don't desire that, then why are we here? We can come and crank out program after program and do things business as usual and just kind of go through the motions as church and we may be a little successful. But if we truly want to be obedient and see God make disciples through us at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we've got to be praying for God to do something amazing, something supernatural, something powerful. And this is just a strategy. Tell, teach, train. There's nothing magical about it. It's just a strategy. If it's going to work, God's going to have to make it work. 
God's going to have to be behind it. God's going to have to do the work. We as elders feel like it's a strategy. We feel like God's given it to us. We feel like it's what the church needs to be doing right now. But it means nothing if there's not a supportive prayer and if God's not in it and there's not something, a goal of seeing God do something powerful, supernatural, unexplainable. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Not a church where business is usual, but a church where God is doing something unexplainable through ordinary people like you and me. And he can do it if we're obedient, if we're willing, if we're surrendered, and we're ready. So that's what I'm asking this morning is just be in a posture to be ready for whatever God calls you to do. So let's go to him in prayer and ask him to, to work on our hearts this morning to help us understand these truths about making disciples. you for this monumental task of making disciples. Lord, when I look at northeastern Colorado and think about where you have strategically placed Emmanuel Baptist Church, we see an overwhelming need in our community of, of people that need Jesus. Every day we're around people that don't know you as Lord and Savior. So, Lord, would we be sensitive as people to go tell the gospel to those that have never heard or never heard clearly the hope that we have in Christ? Lord, there are many in this room this morning that are connected to our church that would say, I'm not growing, I'm not maturing, I'm not connected the way that they know they need to be. And so, Lord, would, would, would there be a, a teach strategy to help encourage and and grow and connect people into the life of a smaller group where they can get that growth. And Lord, there may be even some here today that you're calling out to be a leader, and they may not even not even been on their radar screen. They may have just been in this worship service. You've spoken their heart and said, you know what? God's prompting me to, to seriously consider being a leader. And so, Lord, help us to identify and raise up and equip leaders. And Lord, especially from the younger generation, Lord, help us to raise up younger leaders. And that, Lord, means even from our our children, our youth, Lord, they can be leaders even today. So I pray for our, our, our youth. I pray for our children, Lord, even those within our youth group, especially that, and maybe young college and young adults that you're calling to be leaders. Would you help us to equip them even now? Help us not wait till they're 30. You know, let's do it now. So, Lord, we want you to do a great thing in the midst of our church. And so we trust you. We keep our eyes on you. We know it, it, we can't force it to happen. We can't manufacture it. It's got to be totally of grace, totally of you, totally of your power. So, Holy Spirit, we, as we sang earlier, uh, we rely upon you in all that we, we do. And so, Lord, help us to be the church you've called us to be. Help us to be a church that makes disciples. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.